0: Thanks for having me on short notice. Um, Let us go to prayer, and then we'll look at the the message for this morning, and then we'll roll on from there. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning that we can seek out your word, and and find truth there. I pray for us as churches, Kennedy and Lancaster, as we work together, God, that you'd bring fruit from that unity. I pray that it's also fruit that's intoxicating for other churches, God, that they would desire partnership to and flexibility. So we don't want to toot our own horns, but God, at the same time, um, exalt and lift up truth and your path for us. I pray that this message would hit the right target and do so in such a way that you get the glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you turn in your Bibles, we're looking at Acts 9, 1 through 17. Acts 9, 1 through 17. Thank you. Okay, I'll try to be brief because we're preaching in Kennedy and. 25 minutes or 35 minutes so white lightning my grandma car is gonna have to do some supernatural things to get me there <laughs> white lightning okay let's look at the, the essentials of an epic here's my supposition my idea I've been studying epic and the idea of story what makes a good story for a good while now because I do some story and so here's what I've noticed these are the, the essential elements in any good story their main character there's also main character then there's an initial mission that he's on. Then there's some sort of conflict that happens to his life that redirects that initial mission. And then there's some supporting characters that come alongside of him towards this new mission. Then there's a climax, and then there's resolution. And if it's an epic, a really good story, it's resolution with irony. So let me give you some examples to hang our hats on. Historically, this is true. So, George Washington, main character, initial mission, he just wanted to be a successful farmer. If you read his autobiography, just wanted to be a good planter. Conflict, revolutionary war, and his help is required. Supporting characters, there were people like Thomas Paine that kept him encouraged all the way through. There were guys like the Marquis de Lafayette, one of the French guys he could trust, who encouraged him along the way. There aren't many. Yeah, Everyone likes to take a dig at France. Um, And then the climax, they won the war. And the resolution, and the resolution with irony that I think is an interesting, they wanted to make him king. So they had just revolted against a king to get their freedom, and then they wanted to make George Washington their king. So that's a resolution with irony. His story's an epic. Hollywood has this down as well. The movie The Gladiator is a great example of an epic. And so the main character, Maximus, if you've seen it. Initial mission, he just wants to be a good general of the Northern Legions. Conflict, Caesar's assassinated, and he's blamed for it. Supporting characters, he becomes a gladiator and he has these gladiator buddies that come alongside of him. Climax, a totally ahistorical man-to-man battle with Commodus, the emperor, which did not happen at all in, in history. And a resolution with irony, he wins, a slave defeats a king and returns Rome to the Republic. So that is a good epic. Um, Every testimony is an epic. This is true as well. After I'm done speaking, Tommy's going to fire Josh Hamilton's testimony. And if you don't follow baseball, Josh Hamilton was the all-star this year of the American League, so an enormously talented athlete. So he was the main character. His initial mission, he just wanted to be a baseball star. The conflict that redirected that initial mission, he got addicted to meth. The supporting characters, you're going to see his grandma, the climax, he surrendered his life to Christ. And the resolution with irony, this tattooed, covered former meth head is now the spiritual leader of the Texas Rangers. Every testimony is epic. They just are. God, he digs epics because they're amazing. They get him glory, they're trophies to his glory. So he wants epics. And so we're going to look at Paul's story, Saul, and see if there's an epic there. Let's go into scripture. But Saul, well, there's a main character. Saul of Tarsus, brilliant. One of those rare bindings of a scholar and a religious zealot at the same time. So Paul was to first century Christians what a Nazi was to 20th century Jews. He was satisfied with nothing less than their total extermination. So this is our main character, Saul of Tarsus. And he's bent on destroying Christians. Still breathing murderous threats. Against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked the high priest for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So there is his initial mission. I'm here to destroy Christians, to arrest them, put them on trial, and then to execute them, just like Stephen, who's stoned to death, and Paul is right there giving his authority. So that's his initial mission, but I think some conflict's going to happen. Verse 3, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, in Hebrew, so God acclimated or accommodated his Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Then the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So there is the conflict that redirects his initial mission. God knocks him to the ground and blinds him. Pretty redirecting. Here's what I think is important for an epic as well. The important thing is, especially if there's a divine encounter, is that the divine encounter, at least for the main character, is internally convicting That's the important thing. So Josh Hamilton, when you hear his story, is going to have a dream. And I'm sure to his buddies who heard about the dream thought, who cares? But to Josh Hamilton, that was God speaking to him. That's the important part. It doesn't matter what other people think about it. To the main character, for his initial mission to be redirected, he has to feel like something divine has happened to him. We see this all over the place. So I'm a follower of Christ. So when I look at creation, I see the divine fingerprints of God in things like DNA and the immune system. For an atheist, he looks at it and sees just random chance. So we're seeing the same stimuli. Newborn baby, newborn baby. Rainbow, rainbow. I see the fingerprints of God. He sees random chance. That's okay. For me, it needs to be internally convincing. And that's what happens for Saul. His buddies, they hear the sound but can't can't understand the voice. They don't see God in it. Saul, he does. And that's the important part. Internally convincing. Josh Hamilton, Saul, George Washington, it's all the same in an epic. Okay, let's keep going. So his course has been shifted. Okay, verse nine. And for three days he was without sight. And neither ate nor drank. Enter the supporting character. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And in, in the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Verse 12. And, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And so I want you to notice something about this as well. So, for a supporting character, this is entirely true with a testimony. I've noticed this over and over again. When God wakes somebody up outside of faith, like a Saul of Tarsus, he also wakes somebody up inside of faith to disciple him, like an Ananias. This happens over and over again. This is crucial for what we're talking about today. I'm here this morning for this inside outside principle. Exactly, with application. This happens over and over again. God wakes up a heart, and then he wakes up somebody to work with that heart because he's faithful. He's not random. I don't know what I'm doing. That's not how God rolls. And so that's what I see over and over again. And for the person on the inside of faith, there's some impatience that grows. Um, I'm preaching actually a different message later but I'm preaching on the, church, the churches of Revelation, the seven churches, and over and over again, God to the churches, Jesus in the letter says, hey, do this, or I'm gonna come there and I'm gonna put your light out. I'm gonna destroy your church. If you don't do this, I'm gonna destroy your church. And he's really adamant on this idea of you following Christ as a church being faithful and us as churches being faithful because he wants us to be urgent. And he puts out the light of churches usually because they've fallen asleep at the wheel. And they've lost their urgency and their impatience. And so for the last two weeks, I've been in the desert in Arizona. That's what I've been doing for vacation. For two weeks, I was in the desert at this retreat center with nobody I knew. And I spent 20 out of 24 hours every day just alone. Sounds like a great vacation. (laughs) It is if you have 12 children, but I don't. So I I spent, here's the thing with me. I'm not some sort of super saint. I don't hear from God easily. For most of that time, I just slept and like read books and tried to relax and recharge. And I'm like waiting on God. God, speak to me. Speak to me, God. I want focus and purpose and peace here. And come out to this desert just to get sunburned, which I didn't. I'm like, come on, God, speak to me. I want this. There's some impatience brewing the last night, kind of the last couple hours of this retreat, it felt like God was just speaking kind of on this issue of impatience. Like, I need to be impatient. And here's what it seemed like he was speaking about. So I wrote it down in my journal. It just seemed to explode out of my pen. This is not aimed at you or this church or my church or anyone in particular. A lot of this is about me. But here's what I wrote down about impatience. I'm impatient. I'm impatient with our world of unmet hunger, a billion people living hand-to-mouth poverty. That's sick. sick. I'm impatient with the gross evil in our country, hundreds of thousands of abortions every year. Shameful. I'm impatient with general American apathy toward the king of the universe. I'm impatient with hobbies and sports as gods and the frustrated lives that this idolatry creates. Totally impatient with that. I'm impatient with my pride that somehow people should make much of me rather than the God who deserves it. That's so messed up. I'm impatient with play church, look nice on Sunday, go away unchanged. I'm impatient with church's club or church's building. Let's spend more time discussing the color of the new rug rather than my neighbor's salvation who's going to hell. I'm impatient with status quo Christianity that never grows and thus is not real. I'm offended by people who are easily offended and thus are too slippery for real accountability, without which their own discipleship in Christ is impossible. I'm impatient with global warming. Kick in already. That was just a side one. (laughs) I'm impatient with, you will dig this one, I am impatient with lame funerals where fuzzy sermons are preached that only leave people more confused as to who God is. I'm sick of hearing those. I'm impatient with lame Christians who live fuzzy lives, die, and only leave the minister more confused as to who their God really was. I'm impatient with formulaic sitcoms and commercial breaks trying to sell me junk I don't need. I'm impatient that I waste so much of my life on things that will be irrelevant, irrelevant, Relevant next week, if not next month or next year. I'm impatient for God to pour out trouble on our communities, the kind that, the kind that leads to his glory and the eventual joy of those who have been awakened by that trouble. I'm impatient for people who just last year talked trash about God, but in 2011 will become some of his most on-fire worshipers. I'm impatient for God to move in such a way this year, transforming lives that only he and no human flesh will get the glory. I'm impatient that my eternal life will be invested in other people's eternal life and legacy will happen. I'm impatient. I think that's what happens with Ananias. He gets impatient here because God stirs up his spirit towards Saul. It's not perfect, though, because here's what Ananias says. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those who call on your name. So Ananias' suspicion seems logical. So I know this, Paul. He, he's a killer. He hates the churches. But it's actually arrogant. So this is Ananias to God, God. Do you know that this Saul, he's a bad guy. We don't like him. So he puts us in jail. He tortures us. We don't like him. And God to Ananias says, yeah, I know. That's the ironic part. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, here's the climax. Is Ananias going to obey? Is he going to go to this killer and heal him? What's going to happen? This is the climax of the epic. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who has appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me also that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he rose and was baptized. So you, there's your resolution with irony, I might add. So here's the irony of the resolution. This Paul who is physically blind becomes a spiritual guide for those who are spiritually blind. It's pretty ironic. This Paul who spent most of his life imprisoning Christians spends the rest of his life in prison because he is a Christian. Seems kind of ironic. I don't know if we're grasping that irony that God's about it seems like irony to me and it's pretty amazing so I think that God digs epics I think that's what he's about creating these epics I think he creates impatience inside of faith for those who are having impatience outside of faith um, the night before I got on the plane to come back here which was yesterday uh, I felt like God was stirring this impatience kind of like I wrote about but then I couldn't sleep that night and I was like Ugh. I started to pray that God would just do stuff you know work address some of these evils. And so the next, the next day I got on the plane. Here's the thing. I don't snowmobile. I'm not into a lot of w- different hobbies. you know. I don't curl. I don't bowl. I travel. That's what I like. That's my hobby. So I've traveled a lot. I've been on 18-hour flights to Thailand and India and China and all these different places. So I get how much water or liquid you should drink before you get on a plane so that you don't have to go to the bathroom. During the plane, when you have a window seat and there's two people between you and the aisle. So I get that. I've well worked this out. That morning, I drank just a little bit of juice. There was nothing in my bladder. I had a three-hour flight from Phoenix to Chicago, and I'm thinking, okay, rock and roll, I have eight hours of sermon prep to do, and I have eight hours of travel, so this should work out fine. So I get into my seat, put my eye eye, eye buds in, And just start working on the sermon, working on the sermon. I'm like, these two people, this couple that are apparently just engaged because they're fawning over each other. It's making me sick. I don't want to talk to them. I'm just all about this. I want to work on my sermon about reaching the lost. (laughs) So I'm like focused in on this. But this is, again, the inside-out principle. I think if God makes you impatient, keeps you up at night, there's a reason for it. He's probably also making somebody impatient that your path will cross. So I'm halfway through the trip and I'm, I'm rolling in the sermon and I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. I've, I have nothing in my bladder. There is nothing physically in that bladder. I know this. And I'm like, no, I won't. So I kept working. I turned the music up and God's like, you're going to pee your pants. You're totally going to pee your pants. So I, uh, I'm like, I hate doing this. The guy's snoozing. Oh, I hate doing this. So I'm like, hey man, can, can you get up? I'm sorry, I, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, no problems. I get up, go into the bathroom. Now I'm going to the bathroom, going to the bathroom. And I'm thinking, God, do you want me to talk to this guy? Is that what this is? Because there's no reason I should be in this bathroom. There's just no, I, I'm honest. Like, I'm not a rookie flying. I know what this is. So I'm like, so I came back and then I, I, again they had to get up and I was like, hey man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I never, I hate having to get you up. And he's like, ah, no, no problems. And we just started to talk. And I have to be honest, I've shared my faith a good number of times. This was the most satisfying, easy sharing of my faith ever. It was like throwing watermelons mel- water off a skyscraper. I couldn't miss. I didn't do anything. It was the most, um, most enjoyable thing in the, in the universe. So we're talking, and I just asked him. At some point, he talked about snowmobiling, and there were some guys from our church that were out west snowmobiling from our church. And then I said, hey, do you have a church uh, background? That is the easiest way to open up a door. It's not offensive. Do you have a church background? He's like, yeah. Catholic, raised, pretty numb, not, not, not really at all. And then we just start talking a little bit about Jesus, and he was so hungry, just amazing. He's like eating it up, asking me questions, getting teary-eyed. I'm like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> this guy is amazing. He's like, I don't have a Bible. I'm like, I- I'll get you a Bible. He's like, really, here's my email address. Here's my address. I should start going to a church. Where should I go? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not from Green Bay, but... There's, I'm sure, godly churches there. Find one that preaches the Bible. Get connected to godly men. Just ask them questions. Read through the book of John. Before you read, ask. God, if you're real, just show yourself to me. I mean, God had totally made this guy impatient for Christ. This was so easy. He's like, I got all this messed up stuff in my life. It's like I need forgiveness. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he says, I don't feel like I can go on until I deal with this sin. I'm like, Jesus. It was awesome. At the end, we got off the plane. He's like, Will you have dinner with me right now? Like, this is crazy. That's how it is. When God prepares a heart outside, He prepares a heart inside. Our deal is just to be prepared. And that's why I'm here this morning. So, this new thing that we're doing, Galen and I will be leading a discipleship program starting on March 14th for three Mondays at the Caribou Grill from 7 to 9. It's nothing rock science. You don't have to be a theologian. But kind of my worry is when I tell these kind of stories that you think that this is what Galen and I, we're to do. The reality is the ministry of the church is for the church. It's not for Galen and I. I'm discipling as many guys as I can. I'm done. I can't do any more. If a soul harvest happens and we get new people to Christ, you're going to have to do it. And many of you have been following Christ for 10, 15, 20 years, sitting on a huge amount of knowledge. All you have to do is just read Scripture with a guy like Ken Robinson in that seat. He's just like, can you just read the Bible with me? You know how satisfying that is? That's like a Christian's crack cocaine. When I've done that with another guy who's new to faith, like David Call, who just came to faith last year in Kennedy, it is amazing. He's asking questions about Jesus, and I'm like explaining Jesus. And then I'm getting, as he's asking questions, I'm like, yeah, Jesus is awesome. I'm being reminded of it. Like, he was amazing. He was gentle with children, but fiercely um, powerful against the enemies of truth. Like, at any point, he could have gotten off the cross or not gone there. I had a legion of my father's angels. Kill everyone on this planet. I'm going here because I want to. As I'm, as I'm explaining that to David, I'm like, man, He's awesome how can my faith be alive unless I'm engaged in other people's epic? Unless I'm the supporting character in somebody' main character's life, life and faith is dead. Is that not true? And then it's just punching your card at church, just punching your card, gaining more knowledge so that you can sit on it. What's the point of that? And so that's what we're going to do. If you, if you want to be in somebody's life and disciple them, just come to that meeting and we'll talk about what that looks like and how to invite somebody like David who wants to know Jesus with another guy who's a Christian, Micah Bankson and I just invited him. Hey, we're going to be reading the Bible. You want to read it with us? So we get together two hours a week, once a week, and we just read the Bible. We have stripped down our church from all our small groups. Last year, I was in four consecutive, at the same time, small groups on eternity and prayer and youth group and prayer and another group on eternity and I'm like, that's awesome, that's good, but I think what we really need are just people getting into the Word, discipling each other. We're going to strip her down. And so that's what this whole idea is on, on Mondays, is just getting together and talking about, it. I don't have any slick tips on evangelism. This is not evangelism. This is discipling people who already want to grow and how that looks. And I think that we already need to be in those triads where we're working on each other and just calling each other account getting in each other's faces and encouraging each other. That's healthy Christianity, I think. So that's what that looks like. And this idea really sprung out of this whole idea of Soul Harvest 25, and Galen's maybe mentioned that. So what happened is, we have a Harvest Fest every year, just like you guys do, yeah? Huh? Okay, our Harvest Fest in the past, it's always been, some musical group comes in, so it's a, it's a group of first cousins that all yodel. And they yodel, and then next year, somebody's like, I didn't like the yodelers, I want Canadian clog dancers. With six syllables in their name. That's what I want for music. And we found that music is just divisive for us. Because if this is a group that somebody's into, then somebody else isn't. So we just felt like what would be amazing would be to have a harvest festival that was actually a harvest festival. It was just a night of testimonies where people's lives have been transformed in the last year. I mean, David Call type people who just didn't care about God and then God did something amazing in his heart. And now he's a worshiper of God. So we thought about that. Wouldn't that be awesome if we had enough people in this county who came to Christ? We just had a night of that where people were saying, Jesus changed my life. I didn't know what he was about. And God just walked in with the steel, uh, steel boots and a jackhammer and just changed my life. And so we began to pray, God, what would be a sufficient number of people coming to Christ in Kitson County this year from any different church? We do not care if they come to our church ever. We'd love it if they came to your church. Disciples of Christ, real deal followers this year. What would be a significant number of people coming to Christ this year that would be clearly a you thing? Two, three, it didn't seem like it. So we began to pray for 25 people this year. I mean, does that seem like if 25 people who did not know Christ came to Christ this year, would that be like something where you're like, wow, that was a God thing? I don't think it happened last year. And we're not limiting it to that, and it might be 19. That would be awesome. If we had eight, if we had 33, that would be awesome. So we've just been praying that way. You could pray with us this year. Why don't we pray with expectation? We never pray with time limits. God, this year, I don't have 10 years. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I want to be in somebody's life right now. I want to be epic in somebody's life right now. So you have to do that. You have to create Ken Robinson's. You got to get in and rip out apathy where people are like, it's cool, I go to church. Bull, come on. Come on. What does it mean to follow Christ where he's your passion? And you're like, this is awesome. He is amazing. I'm reading scripture and he's just ripping up my life. Where well, there are Josh Hamilton type stories that happen. It's not gonna happen because of me. My sermons are way too lame for that. Didn't do it for David. It won't do it for anyone else. It's gonna happen through prayer because God gets the credit for that. It's on the radar this year. We're screaming out, God, change hearts because when you do, we're going to point the glory to you. It's clearly a God thing, because everybody knew about it. And so we'd also ask that you do that. Once a month, we get together for over 18 hours, and we just have people fill slots, 18 people during those hours, and that's what we pray for, a revival. Because we know it's not it can't be a me thing, it can't be a human flesh thing. We would love to see a ginormous soul harvest this year, this year, 2011. We look at that and like, dang, that has never happened in Kitson County that's i mean the long and the short of what we're about and so that is soul harvest on mondays that will be the triads the discipleship training real simple three times pine coffee spend some time together learn together it's basically it so thank you for having me i have to hit the road um, this video again josh hamilton's story see if you can find the epic elements in it god bless